From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching and or reading recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. Uh, this week we are talking a ghost story set in two time periods, a divisive third entry in a spooky series, and then we get walka 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 down with the sickness. Get up, come walk down with the sickness. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Yeah. So before we do get to all of that, all of that, I do want to, you know, so we talked to Sapphire on Monday, right? And then we were sharing our things on on Twitter and everyone was coming in with their wonderful haunted and or creepy dolls that everyone had. Oh, no. It's making an appearance. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime girl. That was the baby. That was the baby. She sang. She can. She's found her voice. Good old rattly eye is is doing a dance. I don't know if you can hear that, listeners, but that was amazing. Yes. ASMR. Sorry. Anyway, haunted dolls. 
it's funny because um i was watching at work on lunch because i have again very few things that i'm able to access at work it was on vice.com, which, again, call back to <laughs> our episode with Zach Lamplew talking about how, you know, he wanted to make fun of the vice. Well, what do they, what do they have? They have a video of people interviewing this couple that has this um, toy removal and rehoming service uh, called Unsettling Toys. And just lean into the branding. Like, I got to respect <laughs> it. Just like, this is what we are. You're like, and so what what they do is they'll come to your home and, and in a quotations, like I'm quoting this, compassionately remove any undesired or unsettling toy. Their work is guaranteed. If for in the very rare instances, a toy reappears in the home, we will remove it promptly. <laughs> Re-remove it promptly. <laughs> So what they do, <laughs> what they do is they go to um, people's homes. They they collect creepy dolls, um, and then they do an adoption process with people where you can call into them. They will do zooms. There was a, a video of them zooming with people talking about you know rehoming their dolls, and they will match a doll to your personality. And for the cost of like I think it's like thirty bucks in shipping, or depends on on the, the the cost of the item, they will ship it to you, and you can rehome one of these creepy dolls. They have a list of all the ones that are available. They do. They also have the permanent collection, including Mr. Creeperton, who is a fucking scary ass bunny with the freak. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Jesus <laughs> have you gotten down to Maria yet? No, we haven't. But there's a close up of Mr. Creeperton and it's going to all my dreams. Scroll down to Maria. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maria, for those that um, obviously can't see, and we will include this in our link, is an old medical dummy. And um, she uh, All right, I'm has going back. A, a leather face slash Michael Myers type face that you could pull off. And there is just a gaping hole where her mouth should be and her eyes should be underneath that. And it is absolutely terrifying. And they have kept this particular one in their and permanent collection. And they they were posing with her in the in the Vice video. Oh my god! Wow, that was like really shocking. <laughs> I scroll down <laughs> and it's this horrific face. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> Who the fuck had this in their home? Why do they have it in their home? I mean, honestly though, like I want to. Was this is this their full time job? Um, it's a side hustle. This was okay. part of the Vice Vice.com's side hustle video okay. series. I was going to say, I'm like, is there that much business? Wait, I work for an animal shelter. Should I be? Should I work for them as their social media person? As, uh, you absolutely I have a, should. I have. Yeah. We, okay. We I'm going to reach happen. out. I'm going to reach out. You should. They do Hi. have social media presence. Look, everything I've said, it's not insulting you. The dolls scare me, but I want to work with you. Can I please make TikToks about your evil dolls? <laughs> Sorry, unsettling toys. I apologize. My bias came creeping in with the evil dolls. <laughs> oh, oh my fucking God. Ah, who is the Edwin? Oh, Edwin. Oh, Edwin. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. That's uh, uh, oh, 
Oh, who's available? <laughs> There's some good ones available. Oh, Escher is thirty dollars. <laughs> oh, I want Ruby. Oh, JT. Oh, my God. Uh, sorry, everyone. You can't see any of this. I apologize. This is an audio medium, and I am just looking at a website saying things that mean nothing to any of you. But you need to go to their website because there is some shit on here that is from hell itself, and it's amazing. Yes. Um, make sure we'll make sure to include this in the show notes because I just it was just the perfect timing. We we're, you know, the episode is coming out, and then I saw this and I was like, oh, my God, I, how can we not? talk about this and give them some attention because this is this shit's wild it this is shit is wild you know what and honestly good for them good for them they're good doing them. a good service they are <laughs> they truly are um anyway oh so speaking of unsettling toys <laughs> actually interesting segue let's talk about this third divisive third entry in a spooky series that has sometimes something to do with dolls of course i am talking conjuring three the devil made me do it. Yeah. We both saw this. We both did see this. Um, I went to go see it in a movie theater. And let me tell you, the theater experience did not help my viewing whatsoever. It was like, you know, I had two really good ones. And then I'm back here and I'm like, why are we doing this? Why is this a thing? Because let me let me set the scene. To the to the down in the in the row before us to the left of us, there is someone that is explaining the movie very loudly to his I think mom the entire movie. <laughs> down to the right of us, there is a woman that I don't know what she's doing on her phone, but her camera keeps strobe lighting, like every fifteen oh. or twenty minutes or so, it just goes do, 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 with a strobe light. Next to them, someone is on Snapchat the entire time. <laughs> Snapchat. Then behind us. Um, oh. To my left, who my friend Cassie's sitting there, and next to her, someone has put their stanky ass feet up on the chair with their shoes off, and I do mean stanky ass feet. This was my experience watching this movie, and I'm like, movie theaters were a mistake. I, oh. And it also made me realize how much I miss Alamo because it's it's still closed here, but it's opening up the end of June, and you better believe this will be the last time I'm going to a non. Alamo Theater as a much normie, as people a normie, yes, a normie theater because let me tell you I was so fucking annoyed that's disgusting like all of that is annoying but when it's happening at the, like, the, especially taking your shoes off in a movie theater <laughs> go fucking watch this shit on HBO Max I watched it on HBO right. Max so I couldn't get to the theater I watched it from the comfort of my bathtub which honestly though like if I couldn't go to the theater I had candles lit and I, mean, I was a little inebriated, and I was watching in my bathtub, and it was, mwah, chef's kiss. And the only annoying thing was my cat. So, Which, it's a cat. You can't be annoyed too that much. That is disgusting. Yeah. So that, that was my experience watching the movie. repulsive. Keep your shoes on in public, unless, like... Don't put them up on the chair. Don't put them up on the chair. Like, your nasty-ass feet. And movie theaters are gross. Like, yeah. they're just, like, inherently dirty. Ugh. Well, okay, so obviously you were set up for... F <laughs> Again, with the fucking cat opening the door and giving me a heart attack. <laughs> um. Anyway, so that definitely sets you up for failure in terms of having a good time with this movie. Um, yeah. yeah. I didn't like this at all. Okay. 
at all. Oh, I, I kind of liked it. Even yeah. though I have a lot of complaints, I liked it. Hold on. <laughs> the spirit. The spirit is within me. <laughs> it needs to get out. <laughs> okay. But so, okay. So this is the third Conjuring movie. It is the eighth installment of the entire franchise extended universe. But it is the third Conjuring movie directly. Horror, everyone's favorite horror mom and dad. Ed and Lorraine Warren, played by Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, are back with their beautiful sideburns and ridiculous collars. This time, they are talking about how the devil made this this young man commit murder. And they are trying to prove that in court, which allegedly did happen. Now, I will say this because it's been the thing. Ed and Lorraine Lord in this movie, in the movies, are wholesome, beautiful people who love Jesus Christ. Uh, actual Ed and Lorraine Lauren are charlatans from hell. So let's just, <laughs> let's just like establish that when I say I love them, Ed and Lorraine Warren, it is the fictional, very straight, heterosexual, religious version of them in the movies and not the actual figures who were not great people. Just so we can set that, just establish that now before anyone asks any questions or says anything yeah i you know i mean (laughs) sorry (laughs) you know i just i do have a problem when a movie tries like I, i was thinking about this and it's not a necessarily a fair comparison but like if someone were to make a fictionalized movie of rush limbaugh and turn him into a saint Okay, I so, got you. I got you. Okay. I mean, the, so I I do think because like I've I've seen a lot of backlash on this where people are like the, we're talking about the movie version. This has nothing to do with real life. And I'm like, okay, it doesn't. But you're also taking telling a story about people who are real, much in the same way that if that if we were and it just happens to be about a subject we love. We love horror movies, and if it happened to be about someone that we don't particularly like, like if it was about Rush Limbaugh, and all of a sudden it, it erased his homophobia and all of the terrible things that he does we would have issues with it so i mean I... no that's that's very legitimate that's and i think it's i think the thing that i have fallen like prey to at this point is that like ed and lorraine lauren weren't like they were bad but you're like oh but they weren't like that bad like you fall into this kind of trying to justify mm-hmm. liking them mm-hmm. in the movie and i've fallen into that unfortunately but like they ultimately are not great people who like yeah they did a lot of exorcism or like exorcisms and paranormal research but there was a lot of manipulation going on of people that were in pain and these movies definitely erase that and they make them look very much like the saviors that i think they thought they were Mm -hmm. but they were very exploitative people who use their influence and apparent clairvoyant um abilities to kind of profit and make money off of that which mm-hmm. is not good yeah and like i have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this because a lot of the people that they help in these in these movies we've seen are like lower class like slower socioeconomic class families who have endured some kind of either trauma or are just like working class people and they're coming in with like you know they live in a nice house they are always like dressed in a very particular way so it looks like they're coming in to save the working class family who can't save themselves so like these white middle class slash like wealthy 
white people who are very straight, who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ as our mm. savior is the, are the ones that are going to save them. And that like is inherently the ideology of these series. And it's, it's not great. <laughs> like it is very no. much a conservative ideology. Alex, we um, Alex West tweeted something about this. Like these mm -hmm. movies are very much perpetuating a very conservative ideology. They are. And, you know, it's it's I guess it's something that I, I kind of grapple with because I really liked the first Conjuring. Yeah, and, um, oh, so I thought the second one had some really great moments in it. Um, yeah. I'm, I wasn't as enamored with that. One. I know some people seem to like some people like that one better than the first one. I wasn't as enamored with it, although I do like that really creepy tall man. I forget yeah. what he's called. The Crooked Man. Is the crooked yeah, man? I think so. Like, I liked the second one, but the first one. I, again, I loved the first one. Like I rewatched it recently, and like it is still a really good, scary mm -hmm. movie. But I also think that that is just it's James Wan. I mean, yeah, it's James. It is it's James Wan. That is what it is. And like, I think another thing that this movie, the franchise, brings into like focus a lot more is how a lot of horror films about the demonic are kind of Catholic propaganda. But this one is very over. Like, I feel like a lot of possession movies are a little less like Calvary, like fucking Lorraine Warren yelling like the blood of Calvary or whatever the hell. And like her and her and um, Ed's like our love is what is like God meant us to come together. And like God, like we are together for a purpose. Like they are like hardcore like christianity catholicism is the way of the lord i really felt that this one kind of leaned into that and maybe it's because i'm misremembering the previous two but this one for some reason really felt like a little ham-fisted in that it, regard it was because i just watched the first one the night before because i was mm -hmm. like i love the first movie like it didn't feel as like spoon feeding that kind of propaganda viewpoint on your throat like obviously there is a lot of that religious imagery but this one was very intensely like, look at Ed and Lorraine's love and look how God brought them together. And it was very much more like shoving the idea of God down your throat more than the previous two entries, at least in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, the, I think the other thing that I, I guess I, I thought I was going to get a little bit more courtroom <laughs> drama or something yeah. with this one. And I, I, I realized after watching it that they probably really couldn't have that if they wanted to hold on to that moniker of of this being based on a true story because like the, in the in the real life case the defense lawyer argued that he was possessed but the judge ruled that such a defense could never be proven and therefore was infeasible in the court of law so he was convicted and served five years of a 20, 10 to 20 year sentence and they sort of make it sound as if like he only got five years but not like he was sentenced for 20. So they, <laughs> they kind of made it sound in this movie. Like it was like a, a good thing. And that the, the power of good and the, the belief in God, you know, brought his trial down to just manslaughter. And so there, there are things about this movie that just kind of really bothered me. And on, on, as a horror film, it felt as if like every few minutes I was like being treated to a, a movie that was better than this one. Like the shot of the, 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 uh, the Exorcist outside of the home. I banned. Was a direct no callback. more of those shots. No more of those shots. You cannot make. You can't do it anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sick of it. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I'm like banned. Stop it. Stop there, doing this. <laughs> we know that there was an interview with with the director uh, Michael Chavez who included the waterbed scene because of an Iron Elm Street four 
because there was a waterbed scene in Nightmare on Elm Street Four. There's the I mean, shot it was pretty, where it was still it was it was pretty cool. I know that it was, was in, cool. I know that was in four, but like you know, I haven't seen a ton of waterbed stuff. But then when you no. say, but when you say that as a direct callback, that you're like, oh, it's and not- then. Yeah. There's the the running at the camera thing that like it happens twice in this that I'm like okay this is Maria this is Mario Bava this is calling going back to that well it just felt like <laughs> it just felt like we were calling back movies that I would have much rather watched than this one when it happened uh, I'm sorry but I will say can we protect Julian Hilliard like yes, how many movies with all of is my, with all this of my soul going this to be poor kid is getting in? fucked up constantly this poor sweet little boy I love him. he's he so, is my he's, favorite part of this movie he was oh he was interesting he's so he's a sweet and i i liked when they had him talking to um jesus is coming out of me in a burp apparently um <laughs> talking to arnie about how it feels to have mm-hmm. that demon that was a really sweet moment that i really liked in the movie that like i wish there was more of that kind of ethos throughout where there's this like connection between these characters and recognizing the desperation and how terrible the situation is without it being cheesy. And I think that is what happened in this movie. So I so I'm saying this, I really enjoyed it, but it was mm-hmm. cheesy and straight. And like it is the straightest movie I've ever seen. And yes, there oh. is a moment where there are two girls who apparent who seem to be in love with each other exchange bracelets. But look, that felt like queer baiting to me. I'm just going to be 100% real with you. That felt oh, like it was a barrier gay moment, too. It was a barrier gay moment where this girl kills her friend who is her best friend since childhood and they might be in love. It is queer baiting a little bit and then it goes away. So like and also like it's a moment where these two women like a woman kills another woman and then something else happens to her and then like it comes Lorraine and Ed have to come and solve the solve the mystery. And so I think like that moment to me does not absolve the film of my statement about it no. being extremely homosexual. No, heterosexual. <laughs> 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 extremely heterosexual. This movie is so heterosexual, and like I just, I don't, I just don't think the argument about that one scene, like absolves it of that having one moment with a potentially queer couple that is in the film for what like five minutes if that like well and their trauma is used to progress the plot and it's used to kind of be a character point for patrick for uh, ed ed and lorraine so yep. it's like it's again furthering uh, heterosexual ideology there it's just exactly it's, mm, was not a fan no, but like the the th- I thought there were some really effective scares in this movie. I think it mm. I I had a lot of fun watching it. I think it's tonally a little strange. I think it feels like a couple different movies rather than mm. just one. Um but I really really liked the antagonist like to the point where I wish there was more about her. I want to know more about her. And like how I was rooting for her and wanted more oh, of too. her in it because she was this like bad bitch witch. Mm. who had this like weird backstory and was like kind of a bad bitch mm-hmm. and i love to know more about i her. love her and like they're probably gonna make a spinoff about her but you know what honestly i'll watch it i'd probably watch that. i'd watch it so like i mean i don't think it's it's definitely one two three like ranking for me but i i still had a lot of fun watching it i think it had some good scares but i just think that it's this these films are 
without James Wan at this point, it feels like they're just leaning more into this like very conservative ideology that I hope doesn't continue. I mean, maybe they won't make any more of them. That feels probably not true to me, though, just because they make so much money. And mm. I wouldn't be surprised if they made another one. But we'll see. So before we do get to Dawn of the Dead, I just wanted to quickly talk about this this ghost story. Um, OK, what it's is it's called? The story? Sundown Motel. It's a book. Okay. by Simone St. James, mm-hmm. who also wrote The Broken Girls, which I thought I had read, but I'd actually read The Shining Girls. Um, so I was wrong on that. But it is a book that takes place in 1982 and in 2017. In 1982, there is a woman named Viv who wants to move to New York City, but kind of gets waylaid in this town called Fell, New York. And she starts to realize that the hotel that she's going to be working at at night shift is kind of haunted. And she starts doing some investigation into that. And, and as to also why a lot of women end up murdered in this, excuse me, in this town. Then it's also set in 2017 where a woman named Carly has just moved or has, has, is gone to fell to find her aunt who is Viv because her aunt vanished in 1982 and um, so she is there. She gets a job at the same hotel. She, their stories start to like overlap each other in terms of like interactions. And she starts to f- investigate the disappearance of Viv, much like we're also following Viv and inve- um, investigating the disappearance of a bunch of women in the town. So it's these two ghost stories set at two different time periods that are connected. And the mystery isn't the best. Like there's no real red herrings once they latch on to who it's going to be, you know, who it's going to be. But um, there's something thematically interesting about the way it's doing it, the way it's telling the story. And I really liked the way it sort of refreshes the ghost story to be about two different people, one one searching for literal ghosts and one for a figurative ghost of a missing person. Huh. And it was interesting. Cool. What's yeah. and the title is again? What's the title It's again? called The Sundown Motel. The Sundown Motel. Okay. By Simone St. James. And... I really dug it, and I'm really excited that I'm reading again. Seriously, you're like I feel like you're inspiring me to, again to read. So this is, and I love those kinds of parallel like structure, like the um, mm-hmm. the Lost Village, the book I read recently. Had a simul- I just got that book in. It's a similar structure, not okay. exactly the same, but like it's a par- there's two storylines going on, one in the past and one in the present, and they're in the same place, and they're kind of a revolve both. Ooh. revolving around the same mystery so if you liked if you liked the sundown motel in terms of that like structure then you'll dig that book as well yeah i ordered that and i ordered um the only go- only good indian is that is that what it's called the only good indians the only good indians oh oh get ready <sighs> yeah i love I him Stephen graham one. jones is really good writer his shit is so good and it's sad but it's like it's really, really good because it's like finally indigenous and like more indigenous representation in horror novels, and it pl- it it includes a lot of that trauma of living of being an indigenous person and living on um, the reservation, but in a way that like feels very like authentic, authentic, and not just like trauma porn. And it's also mm-hmm. scary; like it's written really well. And it's scary. So I'm excited. Yeah. So I have those two books. So I'm, I'm sweet excited to begin big into those, but. Are you ready to get down with the sickness? I'm ready to get down with the sickness. You fucker, get up. Come on, get down with the sickness. Um, I loved it. Yeah. It was so fun. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of like, it was just, 
like it was it it is such a Zack Snyder movie, and it's so fun to see how his vision has just always been with these weird needle drops of weird covers <laughs> of songs and like crazy big action sequences and like shitty characters who like are just mean to each other, but it's kind of funny. Like it is a Zack Snyder movie, and I his had first a- movie. Exactly. Also, what a good first movie! Like a fun first movie. I had a great time with this movie. Like, I don't, by no means is it like a masterpiece, but it's really well done. It's a good zombie movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, we've we've kind of had a couple really great uh, opening um, cold opens, and this one has a fantastic cold open. the The way the the virus goes down is so good. With you know, she's working at the at the ICU, and then she's coming home, and then the girls in the room, and then all of a sudden she's attacking her husband, and then her husband's attacking her, and then she falls like falls into her tub. It seems like she's gonna crack her she head fucking, open. I was writing. I was like, she has smashed her goddamn head. Like the way she hit that tile, I was like. Mm-hmm. And then that overhead shot of the truck running through the street, slamming into the car and into the gas station with the explosion. Oh, my God. Mm. Oh, my God. That reminded me of 30 Days of Night. Like, two very good, like, mm. bird's mm-hmm. eye view shots that kind of give you a scale of the destruction of what's happening. Ooh. Hmm. That's a good idea. Anyway, um, with, like... That is such an effective way in movies that are like large scale disasters like this to really give you a sense of what is going on. And and I knew about the iconic shot of her stepping outside and panning around her neighborhood, Mm -hmm. but it's so good because like Mm -hmm. the entire beginning, something's happening, but she doesn't know. And like, how fucking scary is that? Like to have this all this going on around you and like you're with your husband and you guys are having like you're having sex and you're having like, you know, you're having a nice life. Like you have a nice life. And then you mm-hmm. wake up the next morning and it's like, holy it's shit, gone. this has been going on the whole time. But we just didn't. Which is funny to me. They didn't know. But I guess without cell phone, like without like the like, the constant because inter- this is 2004. So we're that's like right kind of on the peak of like being connected all the time. So I guess like you wouldn't be as like staunchly aware of, Oh shit, it's going down. It's funny that this movie came out in 2004 around the same time. Um, I believe, uh, just like maybe six months later, Shaun of the dead comes out and has an equally similar opening where he's completely oblivious to the zombie, like in a hilarious way, completely oblivious to the zombies happening around him. Cause he's so enraptured in his own affairs. And, so like I, I think it's it's they're definitely both of those movies kind of are tie, are kind of digging into a cultural moment at that point. Mm-hmm. And this movie on a rewatch with uh, what seventeen years distance, it really feels like a post nine eleven movie, right? And like especially with that like you know I know the original movie was also in a mall, but it's like that mm-hmm. so that consumption that blind mindless consumption and the way that we are kind of like numbed the world around us and it takes on a whole new meaning here with it being in the shopping mall and with like obviously the proliferation of like the 24-hour news cycle and the way that Mm -hmm. you know we're so used to seeing everything all the time and like they even talk about that where they're in the tech the um like the tv store where they're having they're surrounded by the tvs watching the news and then it cuts out and they're like fuck it's over Right. Well, and even just waking up uh, when she wakes up in the morning and she walks outside and there's pandemonium going on there. Yeah. I mean, that brought to mind yeah, what it was like yeah. on 9-11, like not 
knowing what's happening, knowing we're under attack, but not really understanding what was going on. And then like CJ's America always sorts its shit out. He's he's the asshole of the movie. He's him saying that and then him talking about not letting people in the mall because we start letting people in here. We're going to let the wrong ones in. Yep. And everyone's like, what do you mean the wrong ones? Yeah, I'm like that. This is still something that unfortunately gets said today. Yep. So I just realized. So there's Michael is like the all American white dude who like love is like saving the day played by Jake Weber. I could not fucking pinpoint where I had seen him from because he scares me with his voice. He was the guy in the beach house. Oh, yeah, he was, wasn't I he? I didn't. I, I just looked at a letterbox. I was like, there's I knew he was familiar. And like his his vibe yeah. gives me very dis, like disconcerting, disconcerting vibes. And he was in the beach house. He was. He was, in fact, in the beach you know, house. It's, it's funny because. Because I, I, I remember watching The Beach House and going, oh, it's the dude from Dawn of the Dead. And then I completely forgot about it when I'm watching this movie. <laughs> but um, this this cast is also stacked. Like Sarah Pauly. Oh, yeah. oh I love her. Bitch. She's having a moment. Bitch. That, she was the moment in that mm-hmm. movie. Like she's such a bitch. And I love it. Like she doesn't deal with anyone's shit. No. And I love her. Love her. I love like, her. I was watching it last night in bed and Steve kept looking over and was like, oh, yeah, our, like Dawn of the Dead. I love it. Like, oh, wow, look at that. Like kind of like looking over and, you know, watching when I had my headphones on. But I, the one other thing I would do want to talk about is the ending with the found okay. footage yep. in the. I was hoping you're going to bring this up. Fa- ugh, found footage credit sequence that. It's very post 9-11 nihilism. Of like, oh my god, this sailed away and everything's great. Well, it's actually not. Mm. And I love that. Because again, very post 9-11 nihilistic. Like, you think you have escaped. You think you've figured out a solution. But actually, there's no way to escape this. But it's all shot on a camera they find on the boat. That the boat is the the property of one of the guys that was in the mall with them. And he gets at... Whatever, but they find the camera. Played by Ty Burrell. I Ty Burrell, man. It's hard to see him playing an, an asshole. In I know, my but head. he does it so well. He does it so well. He he's has so, that voice. He has that. He's such a good bad guy. Like it, just a douchebag. Mm-hmm. Like he's like the douchebag in Resident Evil and the Resident Evil Two, I think, who's like the shitty business guy. But anyway, mm. they go on his boat. They find a camera, and they one of them starts filming, like just them getting away, and. At the end, they film the zombies coming to the to the the dock, and they're fucked. But also films like how they're running out of food. There's a fire on yep. the boat. Like the finding fuel, the maggots, the, the maggots, like the fuel, the head. Yeah, oh, the head, the head and the boat. Like that boat they find in the middle of the water, and there's just like a head, a zombie head, going in the. <laughs> but this also made me sad because this. <laughs> Made me think about what Diary of the Dead could have been. Oh, because mm. I didn't. I have okay, so I haven't seen Diary of the Dead in a long time, and it's not yeah, terrible, either. but it's not great either. It had and some good moments. What it I, from ha- what it I remember, did. there's some really good moments, and like it's not a bad movie, but I think it could have been better. Mm-hmm. And I think that this ending of Dawn of the Dead really was like made me think about what it could have been. I I think that honestly for me the beginning of this and the ending of this movie are, are my favorite parts. I because it just the way it a establishes that everything is fucked and then b just sort of hammers down on nope 
everything is actually fucked. I just, I think is a really interesting thematic through line through it because it's not, Oh, we're saved. We're helicoptering away. We have found safety. It is. Nope. You're all dead. Sorry about it. Yep. The helicopter flies over and doesn't pick them up. They're on their own. I just think it's a, I just, I have become disillusioned with zombie movies. Cause I feel like we all have been kind of like, okay, but it's, it, I know that this one was kind of at the height of like that research mm-hmm. like, or the beginning of that, like that resurgence of the zombie. And it's definitely a gr- the beginning and the end are the best made parts, but the whole thing is fun. It's gory. It's gross. There's a, there's a fucking zombie baby, which is hysterical. Like I'm glad that Zack Snyder has a through line of being doing weird pregnancy stuff with zombies. <laughs> it's fun. It's just fun. Mm-hmm. And the characters are all like kind of shitty, but they're all really well acted. They all look like they're having fun. And I just had a fucking fun time watching that movie. Yeah. Same. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Me too. <laughs> Zack Snyder. He's okay. This is his best movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the one where he wasn't given as much money, so I feel like he's a little bit more restrained and doesn't have mm-hmm. as many, like, huge CGI pieces that are like, why are you doing this? Like, this Not one a whole felt... lot of slow motion. Well, and it's funny because, like, obviously this is still a big movie, but, like, the scale compared to, compared to like, Watchmen and 300 and, like, Sucker, like, everything else he's done, the scale is so much smaller and it's so mm-hmm. much tighter and it's just, it's more, like, a, it's like a bare bones Zack Snyder who is working with a smaller budget, which I think is mu- a much better Zack Snyder. <laughs> and he has a good script by James Gunn. He does. Yeah, that's true. That's And I think I've talked about this at, like... He maybe isn't the best writer. <laughs> He's a good director, no. <laughs> but he doesn't know how to edit himself. And James Gunn is a good writer and writes pretty damn good movies. So I remember being excited for this movie because I did really like uh, uh, James Gunn. Because I remember watching Tromeo and Juliet and I wouldn't you wouldn't think that that movie would be good, but it was. And then I remember watching this movie and really, di- really digging it. And it was between this and then a few years later, I believe, is when Slither came out that mm-hmm. I was like, I love James Gunn. He just is very, like, self-assured in his tone. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Like, he knows what he's doing and he just fucking goes for it. So I just thought I, is... I forgot I had unsettling toys up in my tab. Anyway. I love that. So who are we talking to on Monday, Mary Beth? Oh, my God. Y'all. Y'all. Mm. Y'all. Mm. Y'all. Fangirling. Um, we are talking to horror artist and illustrator Trevor Henderson about Lu- Lucio Fulci's The Beyond. And yes, <sighs> this is who I nerd out about because he is like Siren. He's made characters like Siren Head and Upside Down Face Man and The Hort the pale horse follow him if you haven't seen any of his work it's like found footage art and it's mm-hmm. so good and he is so funny and the beyond is so fucking good oh my so god the conversation is so fun and he has a fucking million surprise tarantulas becomes an issue in this in this movie <laughs> terry can't catch a break with the surprise spiders doing horrendous things yeah, Spoiler so if- alert, I don't know if terry actually <laughs> even fully watched the scene which i understand but anyway get Hype. We'll get in on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell you definitely. 
<laughs> so that is coming up on Monday, which is very exciting. Um, and then, Terry, what are we talking about on the next Little Cuts from our aughts journey? We are going back to one of the very first uh, remakes of this time period. Um, 2001's, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, The13N Ghosts. <laughs> We're talking 13 Ghosts, y'all. It's like seven, the where you're like, C7N. <laughs> I have not seen 13 Ghosts in so long, and my memory Same. is so horrifically hazy about this movie. So mm-hmm. I am so pumped to watch this movie. Me too. It's been so long. I don't think I've seen it since the movie theater, so I'm excited to revisit it. I also think I watched it like on sci-fi, so I didn't get the full oh. experience. Oh, God. I definitely got like the watered-down experience. So oh, can't wait. I cannot wait. Um, okay. So, listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Uh, did you watch a film that we talked about this week and have thoughts? Uh, do you think The Conjuring 3 was good or bad? I'm curious. Um, do you have suggestions for our next odds remake? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. When you pick up some scratches, cause you want a fun break. The playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You can build yourself a homemade scratching machine. Or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer. Cause when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratches from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.